This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! And welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams here alongside Kindred D. St. Auburn. As always, in the second segment, we'll be focusing on FC Dallas with their colour analyst, Steve Davis. But before that, Kendra, we've got a few things to talk about. A huge sigh of relief on Wednesday evening. You could feel, you could feel the tension inside the stadium when Minnesota United were tied nil-nil against Vancouver Whitecaps. They pushed, they pressed, they prodded, they did everything they could. And finally, they broke through. Ramon Abela with his first goal for Minnesota United. And it, it just felt as though, at that moment, there was a huge monkey off the back for Minnesota United. It is exactly what they needed. It is exactly what they needed. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous after the first 10 or 15 minutes because I was expecting more of a high-flying, high-pressing you know, sense of energy and pace and, and urgency to Minnesota United, especially at home, because that is what we saw at the start of the Colorado game. Um, just the fluidity in the attack, the movement. But I think some of that had to do with how Vancouver was playing Minnesota United. I think, you know, playing a 4-4-2, the middle was a little bit clogged up. They were forcing Minnesota United and, and you know, testing them to use their space on the wings. And so it was a little bit methodical, a little bit slow in the attack, created a few opportunities. And going in 0-0 at half, I really felt like next goal was going to win this game coming out of the break. And Mark Dos Santos had his club, I think their mouth was watering. He had a conversation with them before they went into the locker room on the field at halftime thinking, hey guys, we've got this team 0-0 at the half. This is a team that their confidence is already shaky, even at home having lost two here. They created some chances that were very close um, with Cavallini and others. Um, and instead, it was Minnesota who found a way with the substitution of Ramon Avila and a beautiful flick on header, which is exactly what Ramon Avila does inside the penalty area, inside the six, um, to give them the one nothing lead. Yeah, look, and, and this is the thing. I'm glad you brought up Avila specifically because I do want to talk about him and the goal itself. He's not been short of his critics. I've been one of them. We'll happily admit that because we know what he doesn't do. What he does do is exactly what he did last night. And I loved when Robin Lurd played the ball in, played the cross in. We spoke about it off air after the game. That little half a step away was wonderful. Well, and that's where you find the space, you know, and, and we've seen him do that. We saw him do that a couple other runs in the same match, but he didn't end up in a goal. But where he kind of runs in, the, the center backs had their eye on them. They, they, they think they had them marked. And then he does. He takes a step back away from the defender and finds that little space. And as long as the pass can find him, he will put it away. We saw the little half volley earlier in the match that he almost buried as it took a deflection from the cross on the way in. So he's really keen on the movement inside the six, but that's the key. That's also the key, right? Is that it's the movement inside the six, inside the 18. You're not going to get much more from him on that. So it's going to depend on what the game is calling for. What is the game asking for? He's not a high pressing forward and your criticism and our conversations about that are still spot on. We didn't say anything that wasn't true about the way he plays, but yes, when you need a goal and if you put him in the right spot, he will finish it from close range. And that's what they needed last night. It was very important for the confidence of this team, not just the goal, but the defense, the willingness to do the work in the end and, and gut out a win and a shutout. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was just a, a huge psychological relief. And also as well, not, not just for the entirety of the, the franchise, the fans, the staff, the front office. It, it certainly felt like there was a massive monkey off the back of Ramon Abilera as well. As we said earlier on, wonderful um, intuition to, to get in between the centre-halves just a split second after Lur plays the ball in um, to step away from, Corn- from Derek Cornelius. And, and as you said, just a little flick of the head was all it needed, really. I, I think Ramon Abila's role moving forward will be very interesting, Kendra, because I, I don't expect him to start an abundance of games. But especially when uh, Edwin Unu comes in as well, he will be the, the, the pressing forward that Minnesota need at the moment. But imagine if, if Ramon Abila comes off the bench and does that 10 times a season. Thumbs up, that's exactly what we need from him. Well, and that's what, you know, those players make a living off of doing just that. He came in the 65th minute last night. If you can get a good solid, you know, 25, 30 minutes out of him in every single match, and you know you're going to get everything he's got in those 25, 30 minutes of the game, and he's going to put himself in a position to be dangerous. And you have players like a Robin Lode, like a Hassani Dotson, like an Emmanuel Reynoso, who can find him in those pockets of space as they continue to possess. And, and he's great on crosses as well. I mean, that's how he scored his goal with the flick onto the header. But we also saw Emmanuel Reynoso just miss by a sliver on trying to thread a ball through for, for him. So I think that there's multiple ways that he can score. It's just that it has to be all inside the 18. So if they can find Find a way to possess, keep the ball through midfield, create the opportunity, and then create in those tight spaces. He can find uh, quite a bit of success and come off the bench, 60, 65th minute every game, get that out of him, and you need a goal. I think that's not not a bad position um, to put yourself in if you're Minnesota United and if you're Ramon Avila. Yeah, plays off the shoulder beautifully, doesn't he? And no doubt Minnesota United will see him uh, scoring for them again this season. I, I've got no, no doubts about that at all after what we saw last night. Uh, in terms of scoring, in terms of shots on goal, Minnesota had 17 shots and, and four on goal. Vancouver had 12 shots, five of them on targets from one end of the field to the other, Kay, because Tyler Miller made his home debut for Minnesota United, which is crazy to think about considering how long he's been with the club. But it was. It was his home debut. And I thought he performed really, really well. He made some some saves you would expect him to make. But there were a couple of really, really solid saves because I think... Going into this game, you and I, you and I were a little bit cautious because he hadn't played for so long. We were wondering how sharp he was going to be, but he looked as good as he ever has done. I thought on Wednesday evening. And I think you know when you say that he made the saves that we expect him to make. I agree with you a hundred percent. But at the same time, it's the saves I expect a goalkeeper that's getting consistent time to make. So yeah, I, I had a lot of concern coming into this game purely based on reaction and speed of game. I mean, this is a situation, it's no different than a field player. I know we can say, oh, well, he's just standing back there, you know, like he doesn't have nearly as much to do as a field player does as far as movement, game fitness, match fitness, speed of play, you know, making quick decisions. But as a goalkeeper, and he faced some point blank shots last night, some difficult saves, whether it was on the headers from Cavallini, whether it was a late game save where he stuck his left fist out and, and palmed that one away. Um, I thought that he was fantastic. And I loved what he said in the post game as well, saying that a huge piece of gaining his confidence back and feeling connected to the team is communication. 
He's never struggled to communicate. You can always hear him yelling. And with only 4,100 in the stands, you can hear him yelling even more so and communicating to his back line. But I think that that is how he continued to gain his confidence, get reconnected to the group, you know, just that communication, the, the verbalization of what he needed from the back line and positionally where he was going to be. He always seemed to be in the right spot at the right time. A fantastic home debut for him. I'm happy that he got the win. I'm happy that he got the shutout. His dad was in attendance, which he mentioned in the postgame show, which I think was special to him. You're coming back from double hip impingement surgery. You have no idea what that's going to look like, you know, coming back from that. That is a, I don't, I don't know what that like, that feels like to have done, but kudos to him for stepping right in and, and really not missing a beat. He did, he had nervous, excited energy, but nothing that showed where he looked nervous on the field. I thought, I thought he did a fantastic job stepping in. It's a luxury for Minnesota United to have the two goalkeepers that they do. What it does though, Kendra, it does again pose the question, who is the number one? Maybe Minnesota United have two number ones and we see them both in and out throughout the season um, depending on the situation. But as it stands, one would assume now that Tyler Miller is again viewed as Minnesota United's number one. Yeah, I mean, for sure he's got to make the start on Saturday. I mean, barring some injury, some niggle, some something, you know, and this is, again, nothing against Dane St. Clair. He had a great 2020. It was a very shortened season. I don't think it was a full, solid look at the young goalkeeper, but we see the potential there. And it is a massive luxury to have two starting quality goalkeepers, caliber goalkeepers on your roster. I think the challenge for Minnesota is just like we've seen with a lot of players in the past is they need games. So when they are not playing and they're not in the starting 11, but they're in the 18, we don't have a place for them to go midweek and get minutes and get game action. You have to loan them out somewhere for a longer stint of time like they did with Dane St. Clair. And then you have to recall him from another part of the country. So right now they're not in a position to say, like, what what do we see? LAFC loaned like nine guys to Las Vegas or something yesterday just to go to a midweek game. And then they can come back and train with the senior team and, and possibly be part of the game day roster. Minnesota doesn't have that luxury right now. So that's going to be the challenge for the coaching staff to figure out with Dane St. Clair, if Tyler Miller takes over the number one spot, what does that mean for Dane, a player that needs to continue to get minutes? Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, okay. So moving on, Minnesota United up against FC Dallas on Saturday. As we mentioned, we'll hear from their colour analyst, Steve Davis, uh, after the break. What should we expect from a Minnesota standpoint here, Kendra? Because it's a short turnaround. Minnesota United have plenty of, of individuals who are of an age that you would assume there would be one or two adjustments in the starting eleven. What What should we expect? Who should we expect to start against Dallas? Assuming everybody is healthy and fit, um, I think Ozzy Alonso will come out. I just don't see how, again, he already just played a a weekend game and a midweek game. He's played 90, 90, what, 67 before that. I would think that just purely for the health of, of Ozzy Alonso and wanting to keep him fit and healthy longer term, that he, he would come out of the mix. Um, I, I can't imagine him making, meaning Adrian, another change in that starting eleven. I think that a lot of players played the full 90, but I also thought that they looked pretty good. Or I'm trying to think of who the substitutions were. We had to Corey Hayes come on the pitch yesterday. So not everybody played a full 90. I'm wrong in that. But Ethan Finley didn't um, get any minutes, you know. So maybe Ethan Finley comes in and and um, if they stick with the 4-2-3-1, which is sort of what they went to late in the first half, maybe Sonny Dotson comes, you know, centrally and, and Ethan Finley finds some space on the wing. And then you've got um, Robin Lud who can be up top. And you still have Emmanuel Reynoso. 
But the, the main one for me is just giving Ozzy Alonso a, a spell. And um, I don't even know if he'd be in I, – I, I would like to think he'd be in the game day roster as an option if you need that veteran quality leadership. But at the same time, there's something to be said about just giving him a night off and um, letting him sort of regen and recoup and, and get ready. Although, when's our next game after that? We have like two weeks off? A week? Well, we it's, it's, it's well Salt Lake after that. Wednesday, right? No, no, the following weekends. And, oh, okay. Um, and then it's the break. Then it's the Okay, okay. Uh, for the the qualifiers, there's still an abundance of associations, um, footballing associations, doing their, their World Cup qualifiers that, that were supposed to happen last year, but obviously because of the pandemic that they were unable to. So I know Cunningham are squeezing in some of their uh, World Cup qualifiers before before the Copa America and, and, and what have you. Um, so that'll be a chance to, to reassess for Minnesota United for sure and perhaps have a look at, at what else they can do. We're expecting Unu to be in the country at some stage over the course of the next few days. Uh, won't be available for, for the Dallas game because uh, he has to quarantine when he gets here. But perhaps he'll be available for that Real Salt Lake game. And we'll cover that in next week's podcast for sure once we get more information about it. Um, but in terms of psychologically, Kendra, we, we spoke about it a little bit earlier on. But is it a, a, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing at times when you get a victory given the start of the season for Minnesota to then have to concentrate on an opponent elsewhere as quickly as Minnesota will have to. Now, is it a good thing or a bad thing that they've got a game literally a few days after their first victory? I think psychologically it's a, it's a wash because they think that they would be up for the next match psychologically either way, whether that was a quick turnaround or it was a week, like a normal week of preparation. I think physically is just going to be the biggest challenge. Um, I think even if this game was still a week away, they would still be riding high from the pluses of that win from uh, being able to win that game in it, in the manner in which they did with the one goal and, and kind of really just grinding it out and just knowing that they desperately needed that. I think that mentally and psychologically they would be in the same boat, but I think physically is going to be the biggest question mark for me, knowing you've come from Colorado, a very difficult place to play. You're flying in and out. Then you have the midweek game against Vancouver and it was a very physical game. There's a lot of fouls in here, a lot of chippiness, not dirty fouls, but, you know, his ankles hacked. I mean, Reynoso suffered quite a few, I and mean, he's probably got some bruises on his ankles today, quite a few yellow cards. Um, so just a physical battle for this club. And I think that um, they're going to just have to find a way against Dallas and build on this because I love that they got the win. I love that they got a, the schneid and they got the monkey off the back. I love that they're not 0-4 anymore and there's points on the board. But I do think that they're going to have to build on that. We need to see some consistency and continuity. And um, the points back-to-back at home, I think, are going to be important here uh, going into, you know, having the, 20, the weekend of the 21st off, the game on the 29th, yeah. and trying to jump Dallas into the standings. That's how tight the West is. Yeah, I'll just clarify that from, from what we've just said. Um, I have no idea what day it is at the moment. But yes, Minnesota do have the weekend off after this Dallas game. The following weekend will be off. Then after that, May 29th is when they play Real Salt Lake. So they do have a little bit of time to reassess things. OK, uh, let's move on, shall we? Um, we'll be talking to uh, Steve Davis after the break. Minnesota United up against FC Dallas. Stay with us on the Match Preview Podcast. Minnesota United fans, save time every time you use the online check-in for a great haircut and great clips. 
Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And everyone, welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin, as always. FC Dallas, the opponents for Minnesota United this coming Saturday. Joining us to help us preview FC Dallas, colour analysts, Steve Davies. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? How do you guys? Good to, good to be with you from Texas. Absolutely wonderful to have you. Really appreciate it. Howdy to you as well. I appreciate the, the Texan <laughs> swing there. Um, so, look, FC Dallas, they, they always seem to be there or thereabouts. We said this on our, our broadcast, and particularly in, in the post-game show, Steve, that FC Dallas, they always seem to go under the radar, and yet they're always there or thereabouts in terms of the playoffs. Why is that? How do they continue to be as consistent as they are? I think the uh, answer to both, sort of both those questions is the academy system, right? Uh, it's a team that uh, has unapologetically built itself around the academy, but that means you're building yourself around young players who are lesser known. Uh, they're not going to build themselves around big stars uh, or not even medium-sized stars, really. Um, you know, you look at a guy, say, last year, like Tanner Testman. Tanner Testman, I think, is has a bright future in the game. Um, I think he might even have a national team future there. You know, there's been, uh, he, he was with, of course, the, uh, Olympic, uh, the under 23 team, the one that tried to be an Olympic team. It was an under 23 team. Uh, but you, you know, this time last year, uh, you and I would have had this conversation and we would not have mentioned, uh, or we would have barely mentioned Tanner Testament. So I think that sort of answers your question. It's, it's a team built around young players. And so you tend to, it tends to be a team that everybody is, Interested in, I think, around the league because of all those good young academy products. But maybe uh, when it comes to the predictions and prognostications, uh, they don't look at it as a team that has a very high ceiling because of that. Yeah, maybe the unpredictability of some of those young players. But within Dallas, I feel like Lucha Gonzalez and those involved with the team know what the potential is for those young players. So how much has FC Dallas and that academy and what you've seen a sort of blossomed with the hiring of Lucha Gonzalez, knowing that he knows the, the academy players so well. And also, how much are, are they going to reap the benefits of the, the market we're in now, where it's more of a selling lead and we see some of these young players going on? Yeah, you know, uh, Kendra, that's a real good question because I think uh, maybe an undersold aspect of having a team built around uh, young players is that you have to have a manager that knows how to work with young players. Uh, I think different managers have different strengths, and I think some managers are just more comfortable working and trusting uh, older players, and that's certainly fair. Uh, but in the FC Dallas case, uh, if you're going to build around young players, you better get a manager who knows how to work with young players. And and look, sometimes I think FC Dallas fans might get a little frustrated with Lucci and Nick. Sometimes, you know, there have been moments when I've wondered why Lucci is doing things a certain way, but then you, you have to stop and, and consider that he has to be the kind of manager that doesn't yell at players as much as he puts an arm around them. I think that's what that, that that's how you have to deal with young players, uh, right? Uh, I, I think anyway, I mean, you know, maybe some people can disagree, but I think you – you know, you have to understand that they're going to make mistakes. Uh, you take a guy like Eddie Majoma, who's uh, playing right back now. Uh, Lucci just flat out says, look, Eddie's going to make mistakes. And then personally, I remember Reggie Cannon uh, made a big mistake. His very, his very first start, he, he uh, led Jao Plata get way too wide on him against San Jose, across, uh, against uh, Real Salt Lake, it cost him a goal. I remember um, 
uh, Brian Reynolds, um, uh, making some mistakes against Nani uh, when he played right back, you know, and he wasn't good enough about checking uh, checking his outside shoulder. Nani figured that out right away. It was having a heyday out there. So you have to understand these players are going to make mistakes. Luch is a guy who understands that. And then to your second question, uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a market right now where you can, you can be that kind of a team where you can, uh, you know, sell a, a, a Brian Reynolds for, for a hefty fee. You know, personally, what I would like to see Kendra is um, I would just love it if they can sort of develop a system though, where you get a little bit of time out of these guys before you sell them on, you know, there's a kid there. They, they may very well sell uh, to Bayern Munich uh, right now. I'm not talking about Chris Richards, who's already at Bayern Munich, but Justin Shea went there on loan, and they looked at the kid and said, hey, this guy can play. So it, it could be that you could have two center backs, and Chris Richards and Justin Shea, starting in, you know, in a year in the Bundesliga. And SC Dallas, they never got a minute out of them. Crazy, isn't it? But this is the, the Major League Soccer that we live in right now, and that's surely thing for, for the league moving forward. On, on the other end of it, though, Steve, with all the money coming into FC Dallas, one would now assume there is an opportunity to invest in the roster. And it looks, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looks as if perhaps for the first time in some time, FC Dallas have done that with the additions of the likes of O'Brien and Vargas. And last year with Ricalte coming in as well. Yeah, um, uh, what I would say is that it looks like they may have more successfully invested in the roster. Because, look, they've tried before, you know, uh, and it, it's, uh, you know, your mileage may vary on some of these guys that they've, they've brought in before. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like Christian Coleman, uh, they invested a little bit of money in him and it just, you know, didn't pan out. And, then, and there's been a succession of, you know, other guys that they, they brought in, uh, you know, a lot of times on the wing. Um, you know, Frank O'Hara, they brought him in and, uh, you know, they're spending a significant salary outlay there. And so far he, he just, he's been okay, but he hasn't really come good, has he? So, uh, this year, uh, what you would say is that Andres Zanotta having been here now a full year and figured out major league soccer, it looks like the guys that they brought in might ultimately be more productive. And you're right, Hader O'Brien. Uh, scored two games in a row, and uh, you know I, I haven't even I haven't put this out on social media, or of course haven't we haven't had a broadcast. But I looked it up, and uh, the times that a winger for FC Dallas over the last five years scored two games in a row, uh, you know I, I do one hand to count those. You know, so so Hader O'Brien coming in and, and having done that, being a scoring winger, um, to your point, uh, I, I think they might have successfully invested this year in the club. When I think I saw the MLS salaries came out and Frank O'Hara is 10th um, highest paid player in the league, which is saying a lot considering some of the other numbers that we see out there in the salaries. How do you see him in his second in his second season here with the club and trying to find his way? Doing it in moments, doing it in windows, uh, being uh, valuable in possession in certain windows, occupying center backs in certain windows, uh, press in certain windows. And for me, it just needs to be more consistent. Um, and, of course, at the end of the day, when I say in certain windows, I just want to see those windows expand a little bit, right? And at the end of the day, a striker has to strike. And uh, I'm not looking at the numbers right now, guys, but I think it's um, it, I think it's seven goals in 24 matches now, something like that. Um, that's very close if that's not exactly accurate. Um, not good enough. You know, if, if to pay a guy that much, he uh, – he needs to score. It uh, needs to score on the regular. And, it, you know, look, last year, his first year in the league, it's very difficult for a 
player to come in under those circumstances when you can't really, as you guys know, you can't fully integrate yourself in the locker room and you're not even, you're literally not even changing together. You know, they're, they're changing out and I don't even know how they're doing it in shifts or in, in separate cubicles or however, you know, different, different teams were handling the, you know, the, the pandemic related restrictions. So that maybe last year wasn't a, quite a fair barometer, but we're, you know, four games into this season and to his credit, he has an assist and to, I guess his discredit, uh, that's it. Uh, so ultimately your striker has to just be a striker that's that well paid needs to be a little bit more productive in my opinion. Just going back to the the youth movement that everybody is so familiar with in terms of FC Dallas, I think I know the answer to this, Steve, but, but you're the FC Dallas expert, so you tell us. Who's the next one to come through? Who should people be keeping their eyes on? So uh, I, I guess that's a little bit of a trick question because Paxton Pomacol is certainly somebody that everybody has known. Uh, so I don't know if that would be fair to label him you know, a breakthrough guy. But, of course, uh, Paxton Pomacol was injured uh, almost all of last year. I uh, played a couple of games, and it just, it just wasn't happening for him. He, he had a hip surgery the year before. They had to go back in and, and, and have more surgery on that, on that hip and groin area and everything connected there back to front. And uh, so, look, Paxton is, I think, the guy – Probably with the ultimately with the highest upside, uh, uh, given uh, good health. So that's one that I, I think everybody continues to watch closely. I mentioned a while ago, Tanner Tessman. Um, I don't know that the club is quite settled on what exactly his top role is. Is he a six? Is he an eight? Um, to me, he looks more like that that eight, that box to box guy. Uh, of course. Everybody looks at his size and his ability uh, to move the ball out of the back comfortably. And, and so they sort of say, well, maybe he can't be a six. So once they sort of get that figured out, I think uh, he, he's another one. And, of course, Jesus Ferreira, who uh, right before the season, you know, he was coming off a really good uh, a really good stint with the under-23 team, Jason Christ's team, to try to qualify for the Olympics. Um, he was going to go back to his more natural position this year, which is a striker. He sort of likes to play as underneath striker. But last year, Lucci attempted to play him as a, as a, as a sort of 8-10 combo, uh, you know, box-to-box uh, guy with a little more free, freedom to go forward. He just didn't have his best year. So I think now that uh, once he can come back from the shoulder thing that happened right before the season, uh, he's, he is running, but he's not able to uh, – turn with a lot of mobility right now because of the, the, the shoulder damage but uh we should get back in the field soon and i think he's another one that uh, uh everybody has already heard of knows about and is watching closely what about um andres Recuarte? i think one of the first matches he played in or maybe the first match was here at minnesota last season he stepped on the pitch late in the match and you could just see the quality of him in his handful of touches but has he blossomed that has he developed at all and found his way again 2020 is still kind of a funky year um but coming off of 2020 and arriving late in the season no i, I would say ricarte uh especially considering his late arrival into the season has mu- uh, much better in- integrated than uh frank o'hara uh i think he was effective right from the start now what happened was he he did you're absolutely correct kendra he came on in that match as i recall uh Right at the start of the second half, uh, was spraying really nice passes. I think he was responsible for the red card uh, late in that game. Um, very next game at home, he hits this a beautiful uh, this, this highlight reel goal against Houston that everybody still sees. And I think everybody looked at that immediately and said, okay, well, here's uh, Mauro Diaz reincarnate. 
right? Here's, here's Davi Ferreira. These guys are, he's a 10. So I'm, I've been on the season long campaign to convince everybody uh, gradually. No, he's not a 10. He was never a 10. Uh, in that game against, uh, against uh, your team, Dallas chasing the game. He played very high up the field. He can play that role, but he's not Reynoso and, and wanting to start high, come back into the pockets, uh, you know, and, and, and receive the ball and play a little higher up the field that way, take on people on the, you know, and turn on and, and the dribble. Ricarte is a little deeper lying. He's very, very good in possession. As a profile, he's much closer to like Darlington Nagby. He's just very comfortable in possession, move the ball forward, uh, but he's he's not going to occupy those high spots. So everybody looked at him last year and thought, well, it was a little bit of a disappointment because he didn't have, you know, nine or ten assists, you know, and he wasn't, you know, and he, and he wasn't breaking down lines, uh, you know, with that, with that final pass regularly. He can do a little bit of that, but he's more of a box-to-box guy or a little bit more of a, a progression guy, right? And so I think once people sort of understand that and watch his game and understand what he's really good at, which is just – being comfortable taking the ball anywhere on the field, holding off players, and he's got this weird little hip thing, Kinder, where he where he gets his position. And everybody on Zoom right now, this is a terrible podcast on my part because, but Kinder, yeah, these guys can see me. The people listening can't. But anyway, he puts himself between uh, the defender and the ball, just stands there, and he puts his hip out, and you know, just sort of hip checks him away, and then he just goes on his merry way, you know, forward. So the point is, I, I think he's been very good as long as people understand that what he's really good at. Sorry, sorry, sorry about the demonstration there, guys. I know nobody on your podcast can see me, but you guys did so. Yeah, I was just about to say, for those listening to the audio version of this, it was wonderfully executed, Steve. Your arm stretched out. You look like a ballerina. It was fabulous. Well done. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure we look for that. with the um, In terms of Minnesota United then, Steve, eager to get your opinion because just about everybody has their own opinion in terms of why it went so wrong, that they got the win that they needed on Wednesday evening. What sort of a Minnesota are you expecting to see on Saturday? Man, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I would hesitate to tell you guys anything about the team that you watch much more closely than I do and you're, you're much more familiar with. Uh, from the outside, you know, I just see a back line that's just not settled. Uh, I see uh, I see a left back who's I, I don't I don't know what happened to that poor guy's confidence talking about Chase Gaspar, of course. And, uh, you know, but even, you know, even last night, I mean, as he as he gives that ball away or as, as he loses the ball along the wing, his body language, everything about him just it, it just screams resignation. He does. He doesn't even chase. I forget who it was uh, from Vancouver that got loose along the right side there in that moment. I was sort of trying to concentrate more in Minnesota. But, you know. Chase just stops, <laughs> and and that and, and at that that moment sort of exemplifies for me what a little bit about what what happened to the what's happened to the team. It just looks like it's it's lost confidence, and I think it from the outside again, it just looks like that's just a roll on effect. You know, I don't I don't know if Metanier is is playing quite as well on, on the outside. Of course, you've got center back issues with the you know with the with the injuries. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if you know uh, on Rytala is is what you exactly want. You know, in the in, in the middle of the bottom. Boxville five, but maybe Rotella next to him. So now everybody, it's a knock-on effect, and maybe everybody just isn't as confident because of that. And you know, the striker that you, you brought in, of course, he uh, you, you wonderfully needed goal last night, but you know, he hasn't fully integrated yet. I still think Minnesota is going to be okay. And you know, I know people were pounding the panic button last uh, last week, but you look at it. So two days ago, or yesterday at this time, I guess people are just pounding the panic button up there, and yet. Beat Dallas on Saturday, you're ahead of in, 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 in the standings, 
right? So things can happen very, very quickly. Things can change quickly. I, I think the, the roster has is constructed, and Adrian, I, I think it's going to be okay up there. When you look at the matchup, just at Minnesota versus FC Dallas, where do you see the, the biggest challenge for FC Dallas trying to get at Minnesota United, knowing how the two rosters shake out and, and likely what the starting 11 will be or, or what you've seen from the past few matches? So um, the, the, the matchup I'm interested in from this side is watching Hadera Brian go against Chase Gasper because I see a player that's confident on one side, having scored twice, and I see a player that's not confident on the other side. So uh, that, that's the match I'm particularly interested in. What's going to happen on the left side for FC Dallas? I, I really don't know. I haven't been to training this week. I'll, I'll go out there tomorrow. Um, but Freddie Vargas on the other side had a really good preseason. Maybe that hasn't translated quite as well. Uh, uh, in league play now in four games, he tends to hold on to the ball a little bit too long. He hasn't figured out, you know, what he can and can't get away with in terms of taking on the first player, but which is fine. He does a pretty good job at that, but too many times he then wants to take on the second and third player, and maybe he hasn't figured out yet that, you know, that's that's just not going to be possible because he's not getting, he's not playing against the same caliber player that he was in the preseason where, when they're playing USL team. So I don't know what's going to happen over there, but on both wings, I am interested to see how, uh, to see how that shakes out. That's, uh, that's what I'm particularly interested in. On the other end, uh, look, um, on the, at the outside back, Eddie Majoma, um, he's, he's pretty good going forward. He hasn't gone forward a lot so far. I think he's trying to play uh, more conservatively, but he's also had moments where he looks like a rookie defender you know where he's a little bit too rash and trying to go in for the tackle and sort of doing that thing where you you sort of go in and kick at the ball and and the next thing you know the guy's back behind you right so i think uh, i guess it's on both sides i'm watching i'm watching the outside backs because uh, i think that's where the trouble could come on on either side yeah with regards to that how do we feel as though luchi gonzalez will approach this game steve do we think he'll be a little deeper and perhaps ask his players to counter press like Minnesota have had issues dealing with, or do we expect him to be a little more expansive? So he, he always wants to press. Um, if you go back and look at the San Jose game, the only other match FC Dallas played on the road, uh, their press in the first 10 minutes was, was uh, nothing less than remarkable. They create two great opportunities off of the press that they def- and they finished neither one of them. And then I, you know, maybe because of that, maybe because you can't press for that, that, uh, that relentlessly for a full 90 minutes, something happens after 10 minutes and they just sort of don't press anymore. Right. You know, some of that is San Jose figuring it out, but I, I think some of it is Lucci looking at the team and, and also asking himself, why can't we do this? Why, why can't we, maybe we can't do it for 90 minutes, but can we do it for 25 instead of for 10? So uh, it, it's a little bit of a mystery because when they, when they're engaged in it, when they get it together, uh, it can be very effective. And then somehow the team just does it in shorter windows than I know Lucci would like. It's interesting that you bring up that point, though, because if we go back to Minnesota United's game at Seattle to start the season, I mean, it was like guns ablazing, high press. And But when you don't get anything from that high press, mm. I think it's super deflating for mm. the team when they get the chances, but they don't finish. And it sounds like FC Dallas just doing it for a shorter stint of time. Maybe the endurance and the chemistry will come. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think every team would love to high press and force a turnover in the defensive third of the opposition and have an easier chance to score. But it'll be interesting to see what both teams do. And, and Minnesota on short rest and FC Dallas with a full mm-hmm. week of training. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me that. I, I should go back and watch the first 30 minutes of that Seattle game because I watched it live, and I remember thinking, uh, "Yeah, they're 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 
they're pissed off about uh, losing that game to Seattle last year. They're gonna, I, I think they're they're gonna win this game four zero, and then and then a switch flipped, and <laughs> and here we are. Wonderful, uh, Steve. Look, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Before we let you go, what's a good result for FC Dallas this weekend, and what what does a good season look like for FC Dallas? Look, uh, they didn't get a lot of points on the road last last year. Uh, I think if they go to Minnesota and get a draw, particularly now that Minnesota has has uh, gotten a win the other day and they've got to be feeling you, uh, everybody up there must be feeling a little better about things, a little bit more confident. I think a draw on the road is, is okay, uh, especially considering FC Dallas um, went to San Jose and uh, aside from those 10 minutes, did not have a particularly good showing on the road in their initial uh, trip away from Texas. So, yeah, I think I, I think it draws okay. I, you know, Lucci, like a lot of coaches, will tell you, look, we don't play for a draw. You know, we want to go up there to win the game, and fair enough. Um, but they didn't win a lot on the road last year, so I think a draw would be uh, something they could stick in their pocket and feel okay about. And then, in terms of what, what does a good season look like for Dallas? Hmm. I, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so Lucci has been pretty clear about this that uh, they made the playoffs last year. Okay, good. Uh, they won a game on the road. Uh, okay, good. But he wants a home playoff game this year. That that would represent progress. Finish high enough in the standings, get a home playoff game, win a win a round, and then see what happens from there. You know, I think there's a certain uh, realization around the club that look there they are a team that builds around the academy. So um, no, nobody's saying they can't win a championship. But what Lucci always says is. What, why can't we be the first team that really builds around youth and does win a championship? Why can't we be that team? So that's, that's the very high, high ceiling uh, I, for me. And I think a lot of people, I, I think if they get in the playoffs, get a home game, win a home game, that represents progress this year. Wonderful. Steve Davis, colour analyst for FC Dallas. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. As always, my thanks to Kindred D. St. Aubin, our producer, Tyson Hill, and of course, to you at home for listening. All eyes on Saturday evening when Minnesota United face FC Dallas. From all of us here, we'll see you then. <laughs>